This is Darren Mutrova, content creator, entrepreneur, and host of the She Did It Show. The She Did It Show is a video podcast that highlights and celebrates the achievements of female leaders and female entrepreneurs building their creative businesses. Through in-depth conversations with successful female leaders from a variety of industries, we explore the challenges and triumphs of their journeys and uncover the strategies and techniques used to build thriving businesses and lifestyles that they desire. I'm so happy to introduce you today our guest, digital technology leader, top woman in AI and technology, Valeria Sadovich. Valeria, thank you so much for coming today. And I'm so happy because I know that you just got your EB1 visa, visa of extraordinary talents in the US and you started to work in Microsoft and came from LA to New York City. And I'm so happy that finally we have met with you and I would love to speak about your career, about your professional pathway, because you have an incredible life and experience and so many interesting projects you accomplished. So I'm Thank so you, happy. Daria. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited here. I would uh, love to, you know, have a conversation, discussion, and um, whatever I can provide here, give an advice or anything. I'm, I'm happy. Let's just have fun and uh, let it go. Yeah. So let's start. I know that you've been working and you've been living in so many countries, in New Zealand, in Asia, in Europe, and being born in a small European city. city yeah. yeah. Eastern Europe city in Russia, in Khabarovsk. How did you end up in such an amazing life experience? How did you start working in those places? Yes, correct. I was born in a small city of a population around 600 people, 600,000 people. And um, I think I was lucky because my parents actually sent me overseas on a study abroad program to study English and they sent me to New Zealand. And uh, I was 17 at this time and I was just fascinated by the beauty of New Zealand, by the culture, by how international they were at this time, uh, all the races, all the um, communities there. And I came home and I said, you know what, I just want to live there and I want to study there and um, I want to pursue my academic career actually in New Zealand. And that's how I ended up there. However, I've always been uh, eager to discover more. I always had a hunger for international experience. So I knew even when I was in New Zealand that it's not enough for me. I want more. I want bigger countries, um, bigger jobs and etc. So while I was in New Zealand already, after five to six years, I realized that the future is actually in Asia. So I already had a plan that I will be moving to Asia. And that's how I end up in Asia. And actually, I end up in Singapore and I got a job offer in Singapore. So after New Zealand, spending 11 years in New Zealand, studying, educating myself, I did master's, uh, PhD. I moved actually to Singapore, spent five years there. And then after I finished my PhD, I had a life decision to take whether where I want to go, whether I want to go to the UK or the US. U.S. came first because of the, like a lottery, right? The U.S. Yeah. U.S. give me another job offer and I actually end up in the U.S. And within the six months of the decision, I end up in the U.S. And then after that, um, I got my extraordinary, extra extraordinary abilities visa within a year and a half. And then I moved the cities from New York to L.A. And I also changed the job. So that was uh, a fascinating ride. <laughs> well, that's so fascinating. So, sounds amazing. But why AI? Why did you start to be interested in technology? What was... What brought me there? It's actually, I think it's... Um, AI has only become a buzzword for the last 
five, seven years maybe, right? AI did not exist when we were kids. However, internet uh, came when we were like probably early teenagers, like nine, 10 years old. And I remember myself being so fascinated and being stuck at the computers and just basically going online and observing people communication. At that time we had online chats, right? Different type of chats. I don't know if you've been part of it, but I, I actually, <laughs> yeah, something, we had some different, different chats, like everyone was talking in the background. We had like the groups and things like that. And then it went MSN, something. And I remember myself having accounts in every single chat, but actually never participating. So because I was observing and I was looking what are people talking on those chats. And then I start thinking, why are they, exposing themselves to this world, the world web. And that's actually how it brought me to my interest of studying human decision-making, studying psychology, people participation, and also bring the component of technology in, how technology actually impact the people interaction. And that's, that's basically been research of all my life. I started under a postgraduate degree. Uh, that was my research subject and my Honors years, then I moved it to master's degree because I started being really interested in health online social networks. So I was participant there. I was looking into different type of networks in terms of cancer, alcoholic anonymous, depression, uh, pregnancy, AIDS. So I was looking at the entire health spectrum and I was trying to figure out why people outsource their health decisions to the world web. And then in my late 20s, I was actually in a different life stage, I was more interested how would I secure myself financially. And that's how I got interested in the financial online social networks. And then I could do the comparison analysis, basically. Yes. And that's yeah. later on. It brought me plus in addition, I had my uh, professional life where I was working for a consulting firm where I interacted with technology implementation of big tech projects. I realized that AI started coming into the place and it was really small kind of jump from online social networks from to AI technology because it's all kind of tech related, it's all digital, it's all uh, mathematical models, interactions, humans, data. So I start being extremely fascinated about the AI subject, ethics and AI, how do we build AI technology, how AI actually influences human decision making. Well, that sounds amazing. I wanted to ask a couple of questions, but yeah, go ahead. Ahead. <laughs> there will be so lots of questions. That's awesome. Yeah. So your educational background, you're, you, you've been studying in New Zealand. So I finished all of my degrees in New Zealand, even um, the last, the like I have, obviously I finished the high school in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. uh, then I finished the university, the bachelor degree. Then I did my postgraduate. Then I did my master's program and then I did my PhD. So in total, I probably spent up to 12 years to 13 years at university studying. And the reason behind it, because actually master's and PhD, I was doing part-time because I was, I had to pay the bills, right? I had to survive. I had to pay for my education and I had to work as well to get the experience. So I was doing it part-time. So it took me a bit longer. You told that you started to work part-time. I was about your career. I know that you. I studied part time, but I work full time. Full time. Yeah, yeah. So I could pay for education and yeah. yeah. And at the same time, you've been working on your PhD. And at the same time, I've been working on my PhD. At the same time, I was moving countries. Wow. And at the same time, obviously, life happened, right? <laughs> moving <laughs> the houses, did countries, you have time jobs. To leave in, yeah. Um, going back, it was it was an interesting ride. It was a race. Uh, it was a race for. 
career. It was a race for education. It was a race to cover the bills. It was a race for survival, for competition. Uh, but I want it all. Yeah. At that time, I want it all. Now I'm looking back and I was like, well, maybe it didn't, <laughs> it didn't worse to spend so much hours in the library and so many nights spending working or so many nights uh, educating myself and reading the books, but who knows? But you are in an amazing place right now. I know that you've been working as a data analyst, then as a consulting in a consulting company, and now you end up in Microsoft. So I end up in the How that tech happened. company, right. Yeah, so um, when I was uh, still, when I was in New Zealand, I actually started um, working for a media company as a data analyst. It was my first job. Then I moved to a startup and I was working as a project manager at that time. So that was, was just helping me to kind of progress with my education so I could do half and half. But then I started pursuing my PhD and then that's how I job, uh, got a job offer from a big consulting firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, however, they got me, they hired me at the junior role, even I had an experience already, but because it's just the way how very things, structured, company. very structured company, mm -hmm. like the way how they get how the way how you get in there is you whether you get into there from the elementary level, um, the entry level, or you get later on. But however, I got in, I was so super excited, I didn't even pay attention to the point that they put me a bit at a different level. However, some people who joined earlier, they were actually promoted faster. So mm. it was kind of interesting. I had more degrees and I had more qualifications, but younger people had a more senior position. But that's, that's again, that's life that happens. But I'm extremely still grateful for my consulting experience that took me all around the world. So you've been doing consulting and you've been working with enterprises and you've been helping them to transform from... Mm, re regular procedures to digital procedures, right? So basically, yes, most of my uh, consulting career have been specifically focusing on digital transformation programs of work. And what does it mean is where we try to make the enterprises more uh, data-driven, intelligent enterprises so they can focus more on strategy rather than doing operational activities. So we introduce the automations, we int introduce intelligent automation, data analytics, AI, cloud, all of the industry 4.0 solution stack so the companies can actually progress further and um, compete in the market and be more effective and efficient in their everyday business. However, it sounds easy, but it's not that necessarily easy because organizations are big and large and there are lots of um, corporate cultures, uh, lots of corporate decision makers needs to be made, governance, and et cetera, et cetera, different projects. So sometimes those projects were large, sometimes they were small based on the client's needs. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. um, and they all were different. Sometimes we had to change the organizational culture. Sometimes we had to put the new operating model in place. Sometimes we had to put the robotics in place. Um, so, Yes, it's um, it's, it's heavy, heavy implementation projects. Yeah, with uh, lots of steps. Lots of steps, place. lots of people, large teams. Teams could be distributed globally or teams could be located locally. So it's all dependent on the client, client needs, teams, mm -hmm. countries where I was living because within the, my consulting firm, I changed three countries, right? And each country's got different way of working. Yeah, and uh, how your academical background and you right now are doing research right now? So, um, academical background, so my how academic... How does it help? Yeah, or how do, do you still yeah. work on that, right? So, I'm still involved in academic life. I publish 
papers, probably it's not as many as I used to do when I was in my PhD program. I do publish at least one or two paper, whether it is an academic journal or conference proceeding. I still run some of the mini tracks on the subject of AI, human decision making. Now I'm really interested and excited about the metaverse. Um, how are the academic life helping my corporate life? That's it's interesting. It's not necessarily could be easily defined in terms of the help or assistance, but I was always be able to differentiate myself from others because the way how I was approaching problems were different, right? I had a background of doing an extensive research, so I always could come up with different options. Hypothesis, right? I had the hypothesis model in my head all the time. Mm -hmm. Statistical analysis, practical analysis. So every time I saw a problem, I would have come up from a different uh, sides. And I never, I never would have pursued on a one exactly decision. I would have had different options available and I never necessarily would have pushed someone mm -hmm. to a specific decisions because I would have just collect the information for the stakeholders mm -hmm. to make in a different way that would challenge them and or would at least help them to see different options. So I think that's how it helped me to differentiate. But also I should say that the consulting career helped me, actually career in the corporate world helped me in my academic research because I was I was able to be more robust, right? I was able to do probably, you know, be sharper and, and not only focusing on the theoretical implications, but I was so eager to understand practical implications that how they could be transformed to organizational life, to the human beings. How, for example, I was studying human decision making in online social networks, so my main research focus was actually how do we design online social networks so it can help people to make a better decision because most of the people make the decision based on the information that is available online and not necessarily all of this information that is available online is actually governed so it's a really risky way of making a decision mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's the academic it's I kind of it's a synergy. It's kind of necessarily can say it helped me so much to progress in my career ladder. Probably it didn't. Maybe sometimes it's put a bit of more pressure on the people around me because now I come around and I can just say, oh, I've got a PhD. But it's <laughs> it not necessarily. <laughs> it sounds good, but it's not necessarily always applicable in the corporate world. So sometimes I just don't say it. It's just because I always treat it as a hobby. I can just sign. <laughs> I, I can sign as a doctor. No, unfortunately, I cannot sign as a doctor because. It doesn't, it doesn't count as a medical degree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and now, after such an amazing uh, consulting career, you switched to tech company, to I switched Microsoft. to tech company, right. What do you do now? So, uh, we all have to change. Change is the most important mm -hmm. aspect. And for me, it's important to change every probably two years to three years. I challenge change yourself. It, challenge myself, whether it's countries, jobs, whatever it is. Um, so currently at Microsoft, I also still focus on the digital transformation programs of work. However, I'm a technology strategist for the enterprises located in the West region. And mm -hmm. basically, I act as a virtual CTO for them to manage the digital transformation journey uh, with the aspects of the Microsoft technology stack. Mm -hmm. So I try to make sure that whoever is, whoever my enterprises or my accounts, they are actually have a journey for the next five to 10 years on the digital transformation and how we, as my company, can help them. 
Yes. Wow, it sounds great. I'm sure it's extremely be such it's, an interesting part. It's it's interesting. It's interesting job. I, yeah, I love my job. I love I love my previous job. I love my academic job. I love I love yeah. everything. Whatever I do. Yeah, that's that's how it should be. That's awesome. Yeah, and speaking about how many countries, in how many countries did you work, and in how many companies? Um, if we are speaking about women's leadership in Asia, in New Zealand, in Europe, in USA, what are the differences did you feel or maybe didn't feel any differences? No, there are huge differences. <laughs> Corporate culture for Corporate women. culture yeah. and um, just in terms of it's a different um, continents, right? Uh, obviously different culture, different um, migration uh, structures. So when I was in New Zealand and I was young, I actually never felt any gender pressure at all because mm -hmm. everyone was equal. And um, I think most of the people know that in New Zealand, we've got a female prime minister and she's an example of a powerful woman. So I don't remember having any gender biases in my corporate world. Uh, maybe because I was young, maybe did not apply at universities. Um, maybe I just, I didn't pick up on that at that time. However, when I moved to Asia, I was in Singapore, and Singapore is a country is extremely multicultural country and multinational, and all of the religions are there, and there is no race issues as such. So I don't, and I remember seeing so many strong female leaders, which is really um, unique for the Asian continent. But mm -hmm. in Singapore, there are lots of women who were in a higher position and I had an experienced and so many kind of coach, coach woman leaders in wow. extremely like C-suite positions. Mm -hmm. So, however, I was also progressing a bit further in my career. I started realizing there are less and less females in the boardrooms. It's so at that time, something, you go, right? it's how you go. Something yeah. start picking up on that, mm -hmm. right? And it was in my probably late twenties at that time. So girls start getting married, having kids. So they start disappearing from the corporate world. Mm -hmm. But that's nature. That's normal. However, in Singapore, there is a really good support system in terms of the help. So you still, it wasn't that. But I, again, I'm working in STEM, right? Science, technology, mathematics kind of industry. A lot of men. It's a lot of men. So you know that I will be always 85% of the guys and only 50% of the mm -hmm. girls and only like two or three in the meeting, <laughs> if you're lucky mm -hmm. enough. So, but then it's also like you knew that there are some were part of the beer club and some who were not part of the beer club and okay. some of the instances like cigar clubs yeah also, like yeah. you know the guys hanging out mm -hmm. on friday afternoon and the girls might not necessarily hang out with them because Making they decisions. have to go home or they have to have different plans so and that's where all the decision happens so you start picking up on these small things mm -hmm. but i would not like informal, and, yeah. Yeah, informal. Like, of course, sometimes guys get promoted faster than the girls. It does exist, but I would, sh I should have not kind of think about that way. However, what was um, eye-opening experience actually coming to the U.S.? It's interesting. And was there was so much noise about the inequalities, gender inequalities, race inequalities. And I came in 2019, just before the pandemic, just before the uh, Black Lives Matters. And I was like, whoa, how on earth US, which is the most advanced country, by the opinion of the world, have so much issues. And then the problem was there was so much, I could see the issues of gender inequalities, 
but I also saw so much noise and actions happening in this area, but no results. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest question I had is like, we all talk about the gender inequalities, race inequalities, biases, but we all do something about it, but it still exists in everyday conversations, in everyday corporate environment where you go, how you get promoted, how you get um, like what type of projects get allocated and et cetera, et cetera. So that's, but it's of course re- relative to organization to organization, industry to industry, yeah. um, companies to companies. Mm-hmm. I saw good examples, I saw bad examples, but here in the US it was, it was much more Visible. An issue. It was an issue. Yeah. Like I think, I think it's still an issue. You can mm-hmm. see it here. It's but it's really interesting why there is so much talks about it, so much actions, maybe but no results. Uh, it's maybe just... it's just talks without any any activities. I don't know. But that was uh, that was an an experience. It probably was something I couldn't not relate mm-hmm. to. But I also would say that when I came to the US. I was surprised that all of the managerial practices, all of the leadership principles, all of the way of working, team management, they all came, the books about those management practices, they came actually from the US. However, when I faced the traditional corporate environment in the world, I haven't seen this to be exercised. And that's for me was implemented. That for me also was shocking because I saw that the Asia and New Zealand was actually much more advanced in the way how they running their relationship, team management and etc. Mm. So but that probably just my experience, but maybe yeah. Actually that's why US needs such uh, professionals as you are with international experience who can bring some practices from other countries and to But the US is big, it's got quite a f- <laughs> massive flow of <laughs> talent. So oh, they've talents. got quite a lot of talent there, that's for sure. <laughs> Different type of talent. Yeah, yeah. well like I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so in terms of AI and women empowerment, how do you think AI, what you're working partly on, could help with women empowerment movement? Maybe how it could improve it or... If we talk about more like from practical perspective, right? Um, AI is a, it's machine learning models, right? It's a mechanism that is built by human beings. It's a processing the historical data, right? the data that has been generated by humans, by us. And this data is biased. It's extremely biased, but why is it biased? It's not the data is biased, we are biased, human beings are biased, and we're producing the data. So if you take the data from the US or you take the data from Scandinavian countries um, about the same kind of whatever, like female participants in the higher leader positions, right? You'll mm-hmm. have a different data sets. However, that's the probably the use case for the AI, which it can actually identify the biases and show the biases that exist in our data, whether it is an HR system that's screening the CVs, right? So how many cases we heard that lots of the organizations, when they have implemented this AI models on the HR systems, they're actually screening more towards advantage of males rather than females because mm-hmm. based on the historical hiring decisions and there is nothing wrong with that because it's a history it's been done it's been made okay was it good or bad we don't know but i mean that's actually how ai helps us to identify the faults in our data the same mm-hmm. as for example everyone heard about the credit card histories um credit ratings that the females get low credit ratings or get less credit or insurance coverage for females are sometimes i 
more expensive than for males. Mm-hmm. But th- that's all the cases is available on the internet and we can all read about it. So technology is actually helping to uncover those things. So mm-hmm. that's essential. And speaking about technology and AI, what is the most ex- the most exciting technology today? You will I don't think there is like a specific tech tool available that is exciting. There are hundreds of them out there and there is not necessarily an app, right, that is the most exciting. But I think it's all about the concept that's currently coming in. And one of them is, of course, it's uh, for me, it's always going to be digital transformation in Industry 5.0. Now we live in Industry 4.0, which is all about the automation, robotization, right? We're making us more efficient, more effective. We're outsourcing lots of processes, operational processes to machines. But Industry 5.0 is coming, which is all about mass customization and mass personalization. So we still automated, but we customizing solutions to our personal needs. And that's where autonomous machines start integrating really well with the human brain. That's actually for me is extremely exciting because that's where we will aim for the equal society, for the society of comfortable life and um, society of sustainability as well. That's what we're aiming for. So technology will be able to bring hopefully more good rather than bad. But actually technology is not bringing anything bad. Technology being created by human beings. So whatever is out there, we cannot blame AI. We should be blaming like human beings. Yeah, it's an extension. We should be blaming ourselves. Um, so this is one of the things. And of course, because I spent all of my life, second part of my life is on online networks, right? Um, online uh, way of working and participation. So for me, metaverse is, is an extension to that. And I see that's a huge movement where the digital strategy, the digital avatar, the digital wear is going to be part of our life. The g- digital friends, it's already part of our life. The modern way of working, the digital way of working, where we will have no offices, we will have no human interaction, but we will have digital interaction. We will have different faces, different representation. And our brands, like now we have our brand as a personal human brand, right? They will become an extension of the digital brand. And they might not necessarily be the same. And that's, um, yes, I'm excited about it. I believe in that and I think it will come and it will come in our age. Um, we'll see, yeah. I think it's it's there. It's the <laughs> next step. Some people might say it's, it's like, not, but um, it's yeah, it's definitely taking over. It's taking over. Of course, we have to take the economical aspect into the place in countries developed and underdeveloped countries, uh, but in uh, in a certain societies in a certain um, kind of parts of the world that's already took over. And it's not a first mover advantage now. I think it's we are already like on a third or fourth because the metaverse also existed for 10 to 15 years, the concept of the metaverse. But it's again, it's just become a buzzword recently. The same as AI, and it's all about the buzzwords, but the concept existed for years. Yeah, and speaking about technologies, about ethical AI, and actually today we're already interacting with Siri, Alexa, with uh, lots of... Um, automation messages yeah yeah, from banks and it become part of our life and sometimes we don't see that it's like invisible in AI yeah yeah, we don't know yeah we don't know do you think we should pay more attention to invisible AI and uh, how we could maybe protect ourselves 
there are two things, right? You talk, we're talking about the ethics itself, and are probably you leading to how do we ethically, uh, is the corporations, when they're designing and building those tools, are they using our data ethically, right? Yeah. Because yeah, um, AI is everywhere, right? It's in your phones and your scre health screening apps, it's your temperature measure, it's on your video cameras, on the surveillance in yeah. the cities, it's everywhere. And uh, how it's been used, it's a big elephant in the room. We don't know, but we assume it's uh, used. And that's how the <laughs> agencies and the marketing agencies finding mm -hmm. out what we like and what we don't like. Um, yes, we have to be aware of this. We have to know, we have to get the concept of how we're going to sell our data if we want to sell our data, because our data, we are responsible for our data and we should have an ability in an answer to say whether we want to sell it, whether we wanted to give it away or not. And sometimes because it's so complicated and people not necessarily understand the impact, how much of the personal data they're giving away, we just don't know because no one reads the terms and conditions because they're just like five pages Hello, long. Hello, Facebook. <laughs> um, that's, that's the first thing that your data should be protected. You should be owning your data and you should be in decision how you share it. But unfortunately, we are not in this position. We just giving it away for free to yeah. everyone and then someone else makes money on it. Yeah, so maybe later ethics and uh, some policies will be changed. Uh, it's already it's already happening. It's happening a lot. Um, an ethical AI concept also exists for some time and the corporate organizations uh, and the big tech companies as well, like all of all of the big names, as we know, they are working on this on to improve, those. To improve the machine learning mechanism to make them less biased and also build machine learning mechanism and AI um, in a more ethical way. That's and uh, there are lots of it's this ethical AI will become the same as quality standards. We've got ISO 500, 900, I think, for every product that's been produced in the market, they need to be stamped on the quality, right? Mm -hmm. On the quality quality stand, standards for different whatever it is. Yeah. The same That's is going to happen with the technology. They would should be eventually be vetted for the ethical wow. standards. That's actually fascinating. That's that's the dream. Uh, you've, you've been speaking a lot that um, AI are going to be part of our life and it's already part of our life. And what if we're speaking about those AI, like our friends or as our companions, and uh, we start to request more from those machines and maybe one of those criteria is like empathy. Mm -hmm. We want them to be more emotional. For example, like just yesterday on Wednesday, Dyson, Dyson mm -hmm. announced that they will, in 2030, they are going to create robot who will help at home with everything. So it will be not only like cleaning robot, but it's also yeah, but help he will pick up things. Yeah, he will. He will know that he will have enough data. Yeah, communicate back to you. Yeah, because he will probably will know what's been in your calendar for the last two days. Probably you're too busy, and then he decides to clean up the house for the morning. Yeah, this <coughs> sounds fascinating. It's just like. They bet it will happen in 2030 already. And uh, this is our future. And if you speak about this part of like empathy, empathy. If yeah. you talk about there are different like empathetic AI, emotional AI, um, robotized AI, right? Um, actually, it's been out there 
for a long time. Yeah, there have been years of research spent on how can we make computers more emotional and more empathetic. But it's not about how we make the computers more emotional and empathetic. It's actually us, humans beings, are not being created to stay solar for the rest of our life. However, technologies start bringing, um, start replacing human beings, right? But the needs of having a companion is always there, right? So technologies start actually replacing. So younger people are staying along longer and older people becoming alone earlier. Mm -hmm. So that's becoming like a really huge factor because we are seeking a companion. Recent pandemic showed us that, hey, listen, we are not designed to be by ourselves. And what do we have? Our phones, our phones don't have emotions. They don't have empathy. Like empathy is second thing we will discuss, but emotions, right? We start we start seeking emotions from technology. And that's why, of course, the retailers, the big brands and so forth, they invest so much research and um, they put so much effort in designing something that speaks back to you. And there are great tools already available in uh, healthcare, right? So, for example, the robots talk back to kids, right? So they can put them to sleep or for... Um, Many. <laughs> yeah, for mental health, right? How much how many support are we getting from technology now, from apps, um, psychological help, right? Even from the religious perspective, right? We can do um, the mass online and the priest can speak with us on a different ways. So that's been out there. This is the companion uh, yeah. AI that's getting created. The reason behind it is because people seek the companion. Do you see any side effects of that? What are the side dangers? effects is becoming uh, there is one side effect that might have that and it's actually up to the people how they're going to control because we also want an emotions and we think that we want emotions speak back with it. There is a question. There is a big question. Comp um, compliance, not the compliance companion AI, but how compliant they are to our needs. We want our needs to be met, right? So if we're in a bad mood, we want everyone to help us out, right? So we want the emotional support, but maybe actually what we need is a bit of more stress. Challenge. Or challenge, but however, we, we make AI compliant to our needs without, so we're becoming like omnichamber AI, that means we are not getting challenged our decision-making processes are not getting extended. We are becoming in one bubble, in our own bubble, and technology are getting so adjusted to our own needs and our own way of working. It's the same how you go to Google and you see advertisement in Google. Only go for me. Only for you. It's completely different to me. And yeah. when you do the search, you see different news, I see different news. Mm -hmm. And that's what is happening. So we are start cutting so many choices in our life and so many decisions, future decisions that could be better because we are in this bubble. So that's, for us, it's, we have to learn how to get out of this bubble. And so that's- a choice what you want to what see. To, what to see and how compliant we want our technology, but we don't have a say on how we design the technology. So it's a, also a big question, ethical question. Who is deciding how this companion AI should be designed? And we only touched the good example. There are hundreds of not necessarily good examples, right? And we can go into that next time. Uh, but when we talk about empathy in emotions, again, emotions, um, we think that empathy is actually, it's an intelligent tool, right? Mainly intelligent people's got the empathy, but we always think that empathy is actually kindness, right? So it's kind of, uh, however, 
empathy is an emotion. And in order to have empathy, you need to have the entire set of emotions. And the set of emotions is actually not only just love and care and support, it's anger, it's frustration, it's envy, right? So if we take an example, the mother love, right? Mother's love to a child, it's empathetic for sure, right? However, mother can get angry, mother can get protective, mother can get frustrated, right? And she will express it on a child. Why? Because she's empathetic to a child, right? So, but w- do we expect a machine to be angry in us? No, we don't. Do we expect a machine to be uh, telling, giving us challenges? Not really. We don't want someone else to come and say to us, hey, listen, I'm in a bad mood today. I don't want to give you like, I don't want to talk to you or something like that. Or we want a machine to give us a report and the, it's not going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm in a bad mood today. I'm going to take a day off, right? Right. So it's also about the human beings. What are they actually, they have to be a bit realistic what they, they're expecting, mm-hmm. right? Right. We want empathetic AI, the one that listens to us and meet our needs, but then it's becoming so compliant and it does not provide the full set of emotions. Yeah. So it's all about the needs. It's all about the demands and it's all about self-education. Why are you using it? For what are you using it? If you are using it for replacing a human being, that's probably a danger. If you yeah. are using it for, re- for supporting you in a daily operation to save time or to keep you a momentum or something like that, more non-necessarily human related, that's different. That's different. Like this is probably medicine. what we need to Yeah, know. in medicine, for example, right? Sometimes if it needs to monitor your heart rate and give you an indication that you need to take a pill at the right time and the right day because of the some of the condition changes, that's an amazing thing. But if it's substituting your girlfriend and your boyfriend, that's probably not the right mm-hmm. way. However, who are we to say? Like what is the she, right? She, right. Or like she or there is a step yeah. step for wives as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, do you remember the story? No one wanted actually compliant wives. At the end, they hated them because they were always saying yes. No one <laughs> wanted a proper wife who says no. <laughs> this is not the right thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. we are not there to say what is right, what is not. In yeah. some cases, there are different cases, right? And technology, like, I mean, I'm a believer that AIs should be used for good and it's used for good but yeah. there are different cases it's actually interesting also right now those technologies are available for wealthy people so if you can spend so much money on such devices but is it will be the same trend or so or it will be more affordable or and it will be like everywhere we will i will seek for human yeah i will actually debate on this because technology also creating a social economical gap and the example of this, uh, during the recent pandemic, right, every school kids went home and started studying online and they were locked inside their houses. And the people only who had financial access, they could afford to hire personal trainers, private teachers, take the kids out of the apartments, take them to the special camps, which was secretly available or whatever it is. Okay. But mm-hmm. people with... Yeah. Uh, more financial power are actually able to afford more personal touch, more personalization, humanization, because everything online is cheaper because it's mainstream, it's a mess provided, it's provided for the mess, so it's cheaper. You talk about the yoga classes, right? Yoga classes online will cost you $10. Yoga classes in uh, in real interaction, $30. It's a huge difference, right? So we minimizing the human interaction without even understanding that and that will create a societal gap so it doesn't mean that people who's got more financial power will be 
able to afford more human interaction than people without the financial power. Mm -hmm. And the education system as well. Uh, lots of reports came out that studies online is not necessarily as effective as offline, offline. right? So it doesn't mean that people who can afford private tutors or private schools will have real teacher and students who cannot afford will have a robot in front of them. So that's, but that's, it's a good point already that education will be available to everyone in that's every point in, in the planet. However, the it's quality not the, the quality and it's not the same. And it's again, create the societal gap. Is it good or bad? We don't know. Yeah, and sometimes you go to university to create um, the circle of people around you with whom you will interact. Yeah, like, I mean, most of our network is it's built network, yeah. uh, by actually face-to-face -face interaction in our network, like connections, friends, right? It's all, it's really rare, actually, for the last two years, I made friends, I made lots of friends online, actually, mm -hmm. lots, but that I stay with them, I still communicate with them on every day on the digital friends and co-workers but they are those friends with whom I go and have coffees in real life not mm -hmm. really if we think about it yes. we still have digital coffees with them in a digital world but we didn't take them on a real world journey yeah this is different things right yeah so, and yeah, then so. that's how we get so compliant with the technology as well yeah that's an interesting point so and um, using AI in a big corporation mm -hmm. and a small business. Is there the big difference between us? Overall, the usage of technology is different in small businesses and big corporations mm -hmm. because usually small businesses are faster on implementing the tools. They might mm -hmm. not necessarily have the same amount of funds but they are, especially if we, talk, if we talk about the new startups, they are more energetic, different brain, different type of people, right? They want to try, try, try. They are accepting the failure. Um, they are more innovative in some of the solutions, the way how they work, um, the way how they use the data. So I see sometimes small businesses being more in advance of trying and failing faster, but getting an advantage faster as well in comparison to the big corporations that's got lots of, governance processes in place, lots of stakeholders, decision making. It's not um, for the new product within the big corporation and the small business to reach the market is a huge difference. And the big corporations will take days, for example, in the mm -hmm. best case scenario. And a small business might take a couple of, yeah, like on the couple, couple of days, a couple of people to decide, a couple of people to design, and it's out in the market for the test, for the trial for the big organization might be different. So different use cases, um, different set of technologies, different abilities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, sometimes I feel like small businesses are an advantage because they can pick up on a shiny tools quicker, but I do understand that the corporates got their funds. Some so small that's businesses. Why, yes, that's why we've got yeah. so quite a few small businesses providing services to the big organizations to change their mindset. So in, right now there are a lot of startups who try with digital fashion, like metaverses, and uh, just going and creating the new, new world, like new modern work. Like for example, it's quite common now that corporations are changing the way how they work, right? So they're becoming, they're moving into this digital way of working, modern work, 
uh, that they interact online, that they have different tools, applications, whiteboards, and so on. Um, they don't need their face-to-face presence anymore. So that's where the small companies comes into the place and they offer the mm-hmm. shiny tools, for example. Or oh, the, the, yeah. But the big corporations are also working towards this agenda. So, so it's an interesting point here yeah, that small businesses can come to... Big small businesses have access help. now, easy access probably than five to ten years ago to sell their products to the big corporations yeah, because or, they integrate, their projects, or they, integrate their products yeah. with the big corporations' products as well to make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it's all thank you to the availability of the internet and um, being out there, being the citizen of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's speak with you about uh, leadership competences. Mm-hmm. I know <laughs> that you've been working with lots of big companies and uh, small businesses as well. And which women leader competences and qualities are are the most important right now, do you find? I don't think I would differentiate between woman and man qualities. I don't mm-hmm. want to go there. <laughs> because you break all stereotypes. I, I, think, um, yeah. I think we have to appreciate, obviously, the difference between man and woman. But when they work in collaboration together, it's a fantastic union. And it creates so much good change in any environment. And we have to appreciate the differences. This is the first thing. It's not the war against two different genders, no. Um, so the overall change that happens in the leadership now, it's, 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 it's actually empathy and the human behavior. So leaders are becoming more people-oriented. They, they are results-driven, of course. It's essential because that's how we live. But there is lots of emphasis now on empathy, on support, on emotional well-being. Um, and I think it's also because the technology actually putting stress on us as well. So we actually need human interaction. Um, so that's, I probably see as essential thing is empathy. But I also would say um, when people love their job, they do it really well and they provide extremely good examples for the young leaders. And I think that's also a quality of the leadership is love your job and show an example of dedication and drive. And then I think that's also the team leadership examples. It's, it's really difficult. and Not every single leader can show the investment in what they do. It's just, and it's actually even hard to explain, but those that help you to, that energize you and show how much impact you can make to people's lives by even putting automation in place, for example. But that's a really significant aspect. And though, and usually leaders like that have their core team and the core team sticks around because they just, you know, they want to follow the leaders who are excited about the job they do and they love what they do and also empathetic to their teams. Yeah, it's actually the big fear right now. Like people are speaking a lot uh, about technology replacing human beings from some positions. What do you think will be in demand? Which skills will be in demand? Well, I don't think technology will replace human beings. I will never say that because technology actually creating more jobs than we think about it. The university even don't know what to teach at schools because there are um, in five years time, there will be different needs for the jobs. So 
I will never say that technology replacing jobs. Some of the operational activities they replace, but fair enough, it's a progression. It's a normal evolution, right? We used to have radios. No one is listening to the radio now, right? TVs, stations. Horses. Horses, yeah. So cars now and now it's electronic cars. We don't want to use the gas. Mm -hmm. um, so it's normal evolution. We're accepting it. We're automating ourselves. We're automating the processes. That's normal. Um, what will be essential is actually computers can crunch the data, right? But how are we going to make sense out of this data? Computers now also making sense out of this data, but how are we going to get this right strategy and decision-making in place? How are we actually going to use it in an effective way? And the people who are good at strategy and good at decision-making with the relevant and can read the data, that's actually a really big advantage. And it's also soft skills. We're talking about the soft skills because automation comes in place, um, robots will come into place, it all will be there. But soft skills will stay, relationship, network, um, leadership, teamwork, right? Even how are we going to manage people and robots together in one digital, okay, let's not call them robots, but digital workers, right? And they will exist and they will be there because we already have chatbots, right? That are assisting us in our everyday operation. How are we going to manage them? Um, so the soft skills will come into the place for sure. Strategy. Decision Strategy, decision making. Yeah, creativity. Creativity yeah. will be big because computers still are not capable of picking up things like emotions, love, care, right? Uh, thoughts or spontaneity, right? You know, like this way you walk on to point A, but then you end up to go to point B, right? So a computer will never pick it up. Or what about your, like, you know, gut feeling, right? Have you ever thought, will computer ever pick up on a gut feeling? You know, when you look at someone and you're like, this person is a good person, or this person is not the really great person. Sure, yeah. The gut feeling, computer will never build you a model to give you a qualification whether the person is good or bad based on your gut feeling. It will give you stats based on the profile of Instagram profile or LinkedIn profile, but that's it. So there are things that we have, we have to really appreciate and care and nurture and keep it. And that would be essential in the future. Yeah, that, that's... Hopefully. You haven't thought about hopefully. it. <laughs> Yeah. So which advice you would give to young women, girls who want to succeed in AI and technology? What will be your key advice to those? Um, there are so many advices being given well, to everyone. To yeah. girls, but, but to to, I think it's the most important everyone. one to everyone here yeah, is do what you love, do it well and create an example for future generation. Just be a person of an example. However, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to change your opinion because there is a 50% chance that your opinion is wrong. We have to understand. So most of the cases, what we think is actually someone else will come with the better data points and prove you that you're wrong. So don't stuck up with that, just change change your opinion or whatever it is just move on it's very good advice yeah just move on just don't stuck into it like don't say like i'm right no there is no one is right 50 percent of chances that you're wrong you just have to know that from another perspective from another perspective right yeah. so and keep changing and changing and of course i'm a huge believer in education and training so i think education training is your sole responsibility and you have to continuously upskill yourself and challenge yourself so that's probably my advice. Love what you do. Even it's hard. I know it's hard, but have something that you 
really care about. Like in my case, I did care about research so much that nothing could stop me. Even I had to work and it was really difficult late nights, but it was something like, you know, I was, I loved it, right? I loved to sit online and observe people <laughs> talking online, but from home and it to... doesn't matter. And it's not necessarily brought me wealth, right? No, it didn't pay my bills at all, but it was something I loved it and I'm happy I've done it. So now it's just, it's brought me to different discussion points. It brought me here so I can have an interesting conversation. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's probably will be, and don't focus on, uh, on the noise around whatever is happening, like the race, the gender, the biases, just stick to, to yourself. Yeah, mm -hmm. stick to what you do the best. To self-development. Self-development. By the way, what's your favorite book or something? Book. Um, Speaking about education. Education, <laughs> yes. I do, read, I do read books a lot. <laughs> I have like you three still have time. This yeah, is yeah, fascinating. I, I'm, a, I'm an old school. I don't know when you do that. Yeah, I'm an old school. I have yeah. like three to four books in my bed. Like it's depending on my mood, whatever I'm going to pick up. And sometimes it's psychology books. Sometimes it's motivational books. Sometimes it's some sort of... Um, tech books as well um but probably if we are on the subject of ai and technology my favorite will always stay and been by ray caswell uh the age of spiritual machines it's like a bible for me uh it's huge it's like that but it's mm -hmm. just it's fascinating to read um he's a really futuristic technologist person who, pre who predicted whatever we're experiencing now um, 20 years ago and he's got the entire roadmap for another 50 years so it's great to read uh, he also wrote um, other books on something called like singularity I think um, so just he's extremely famous okay, well, yeah switch. and this is from technology side um, he also wrote a book on this how we can create our mindset from both psychology and technology perspective from uh, more like how human thinks because that's my subject that's awesome. my love uh it's lately not lately maybe like two to three years ago i picked up robert green and also an american author and he it's the laws of human nature that's his first book the second one was i read um the power the power the power book and the law of seduction as well so it's all how we interact with people and how we can rationalize their behavior. Um, but the rest is like, of course, I did all of this top 10 books to read for motivation, top 10 books and decision oh, yeah. making, top 10 books and AI, the rest you can find it. But that's probably the books that I kind of, from technology perspective and psychology perspective, I've got kind of handy, you know. Excited. I always will recommend them. And Thank yeah. you. So yeah. I put it Ray as well for sure, Robert Greene for sure as well. Yeah. Thank you. It's easy reads. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. What's uh, at which stage of your life you are right now? Do you have any conclusion or something? No, it hopefully no. You know, hopefully I don't have a conclusion because um, the expectation, the average expectation of life expectancy is actually 78 years. I'm not even halfway through, so no life conclusions yet. Uh, and I know that 50% of whatever I'm saying might be wrong <laughs> from different perspective. Yeah. No life conclusions, but I probably always followed, uh, because I'm an academic, right? I need a theories. I need some sort of... Um, you know some sort of tangible things what to follow yeah. i follow the 3c concept uh choice chance change 
So what does it mean is you have to make a choice to take a chance or your life will never change. Wow. 3C. 3C concept, yes. So it's mantra, it's like... It's mantra, it's everything. It's, For me, it's like, okay, So what I just have to change. <laughs> and you had such a... I always followed change. I always followed um, if something is... It's from one perspective, it can be dangerous, right? Because what about the... We have to also talk about the phone. We haven't talked about the human relationships, the foundations, right? The rush of getting your career and your academic life sorted. But it's what like about... about life balance. Yeah, life balance. What about human relationships, right? Because this is actually the foundations. It's not about the technology. It's who do we have next to us? Do we have the right friends? Do we have the right partners in our life? How much time do we invest in that? And that's actually probably when you ask me about the life stage, that's actually where I am now. That's where I came to the point that um, I can run around the world uh, collecting the passport stamps, but I still need people around me, right? I don't want to have technology around me. I don't want a companions. I don't want to take companions next to me. I want to be human beings. We are not designed to be by ourselves. We need a quality relationship, and that's a foundation of our life. So that's probably after all of my experience, that's where I came from. To learn everything about AI, being a top Not everything, but I still... Still on the way, I mean. Still on the way, yeah, because my life is, <laughs> is not ending yet. <laughs> still on the way, hopefully. But uh, yeah, that's probably, as you said, the life stage at the moment. Yeah, it's my 3C stage, concept. Yeah. Take <laughs> chance and choices and changes. And you challenge <laughs> yourself a lot. It's... It's and challenge, so yeah, and challenge as well. That's a four C. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think we, I've learned a lot from you during just this little interview, and I'm feeling that there are so many other questions which we could discuss. Maybe we another can do time. Part I two. Hope we can so. do part two. It's a, <laughs> part two. Yeah, yeah we can do part two. Yeah. Your life journey, experience, and uh, I'm so happy that you made so many changes. I've been here already in the US, and you experienced so many. Like you've been in New York City, and now you're in LA. In LA, California. Yeah. Yeah. New York or LA? It's always like a big question. What's better? Oh, no. <laughs> I think the two cities are so amazing and beautiful, and I cannot make a choice. No, not yet. Case. But <laughs> not maybe yet. one day. But we'll I love. I want to. I want to. I want to be too two-sided. Right. Two-sided. In this case, I love spending time in New York. I love my life in California. Um, I love the drive in New York. I love the people in New York, but I also love the people in. I don't know. I can't say it. I think the two cities are amazing. Just yeah, amazing, amazing. Just perfect. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's hard to make a decision. I want to have place everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully, we meet maybe in this studio, New York City, yeah. or in another one. We'll see in the next couple yeah. of years for sure. Thank you so much for your honest interview and so much information and your life experience which you shared with us and I hope and I'm sure so many people will find it so I useful. hope so as well. I yeah. hope it was useful and yeah. uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for having a chat and uh, yeah all the best for the show. Thank you. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much and see you next time. You're also welcome to watch us on the YouTube channel, Instagram, and Spectrum, Fios, and RNC TV channels. All the links and details you will find in the description. Every week on Thursdays, we'll release short episodes and interviews of creative female entrepreneurs building their businesses. 
as well as short 10-15 minute episodes where I will share my entrepreneurship experience. So everything can be helpful for entrepreneurs and those who want to reconsider their career paths. See you next episode on the She Did It show.